0: Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Luke chapter 8. I want to pick up at verse 26 Luke chapter 8 verse 26 I'm gonna go ahead and pick up where we uh, left off and um, last week. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time, and he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss." Uh, let's stop right there for a minute. So after the calming of the storm, uh, Jesus and his disciples arrive where he was headed in the first place, which is to uh, the region of the Gadarenes, or you might have a slightly different translation uh, on that word. But we're in this, this region on the far side of Galilee, really opposite the region, uh, Catech Uh, diagonally from where most of Jesus' ministry has been occurring uh, in Galilee. It's in a region known as the Decapolis, which means ten cities. Um, Using all the details in Luke and other Gospels, probably they're in a region known as Kirsa. Um, And this is a region that's part of what had been the tribe of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh that that chose not to take their inheritance on the western side of of the Jordan River. If you remember your Old Testament, Joshua in particular, uh, you remember Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh chose not to enter over into the promised land. And so the region we're in here is um, part of that area. And by the time of Jesus' day, it it is a heavily Gentile-influenced region. Uh, And that's kind of evident by the The livestock being raised, as we'll notice with the pigs, uh, which is definitely not a clean animal. Uh, And so that's part of, so that's where they are. Now, Luke describes an immediate confrontation here, right? It's like as soon as Jesus is stepping off the boat, this guy comes running down, yelling at Jesus. And you can imagine, this is a disturbing sight, right? This is a man, he has no clothes on. Uh, right there, that's that's uh, off-putting, uh, and and he, he he's he's running and he's yelling at, at Jesus, and Luke tells us this poor man has been distressed by demons for a long time, uh, and, and of course he, he's feeling the full weight uh, of the of the of the of the harassment. Uh, uh, of this demonic activity, they've think about it. They've driven him out of his home. He doesn't live in the city. He doesn't live in a house. Uh, he they've left him exposed to the elements uh, out there uh, among the tombs. He doesn't have any clothes on. I mean, his only shelter is is here among uh, the dead bodies, the tombs. Uh, it's a place of death. It's a place of decay. And if he's a Jew, and it seems that he is. Very likely, he's in an unclean place. It's just a train wreck as far as his life goes. Uh, Mark's account uh, in Mark chapter 5, 5 tells us that he also harmed himself very frequently. And and so it's a very pitiful situation when you think about it. it. And it's a dramatic testimony of the results of Satan's work and really the ultimate end of sin, isn't it? Right, uh, this is a sad situation. Uh, his nakedness reminds us uh, simultaneously of the the shame he bears. Right, because uh, since the garden, since the fall, uh, that they, we we carry shame. That's why we, we cover ourselves. Um, and and he's running around naked before not just before God, but before other people. Anybody out there uh, is going to see him like that. And we're reminded of the demonic rebellion and the way it works, right? You know, this is how Satan works. It it refuses to acknowledge the shame while at the same time uh, shaming us, right? You know, Satan loves to put us in places where we're pitifully shamed, but at the same time, you know, it's that demonic doctrine that tells us, "Oh, don't don't feel any shame." That's kind of the culture we live in today, right? We we sear our our conscience over. Uh, and flaunt a sinful lifestyle, and uh, try to tell ourselves it's okay to run around naked or whatever uh, godless thing uh, we we find ourselves doing. That, that that's a defiant and, and and seared conscience, right? But at the same time, Satan is is thrilled to to expose a person to ridicule, right? He's like that bad kid you might have gone to school with. I hope you weren't that bad kid who was always goading you to do something. And then he turns around and and, and, and guilt you because you did it. Right? Or he's the first one to point out to somebody else what you've done, or he's or he's the guy that likes to put you into a, a really compromising situation, and then then show everybody. And of course, nowadays they, it's somebody that, that does it and then posts it on the internet uh, or, or TikTok or, or, or one of those things. You know, they're they're the ones goading you into uh, a place of ridicule, and then they, they heap it on. That's Satan's mode, right? He 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 doesn't care about you, right? All he does is hate God, and because you're made in God's image, he hates you too. But you know what? He's happy to come alongside and act like he's your buddy to put you in a place where you find yourself just the the object of ridicule and indignity. Um, I was thinking about Acts nineteen sixteen. Remember the um, the. The, the demon possessed man there, and, and it says the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them. These these exorcists that are trying to you know invoke Paul's name and all uh, they don't they're not believers. And, and it says he leapt on them, overpowering them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Right? He he exposed them. And this is this is kind of part and parcel uh, uh, of Satan's work, and it's a sad state uh, of this demoniac. That He's running around completely exposed to the world, com- exposed to ridicule, exposed to the elements, um, and yet it's so much the culture of our own day. You know, this man can't be helped or controlled. You know, it tells us that, that people had tried to bring him under control. They tried to put him in, in shackles, and everything uh, was broken. They, nobody could deal with this man's problem. Nobody could help him. And it's a distressing situation, isn't it, when we think about it? I mean, just stop for a second and think about this man's situation. Now, first off, don't, don't read me wrong. Uh, don't take this wrong. I'm not suggesting that everybody you find muttering to themselves out on the streets today is demon-possessed. Although, I don't discount that there are some. right? Uh, so I'm not, I'm not saying, no, there aren't any. But I'll tell you what. These are people that are in deep bondage. To the to the results of sin. There's a lot of people out there that are that are that aren't being helped. And in many cases and, and we live in a culture that I think is facing, because they are we are live in a godless culture, is really facing the hard questions and the realities of we don't know how to help. They don't, right? You you listen to our politicians, you listen to people, you really they don't know how to help the situation that we see is growing all around us right people hurting people in really off-putting uh kind of lives right it's there's an affront to it let's let's be honest we 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 see certain things you know and and it's 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 not clean right just like this man these people aren't living in cleanliness yeah, we see uh, the rise in Hep A and all of these diseases that are that are plaguing just our city. And I don't, you know, uh, I'm sure many people uh, that are listening from other places, uh, you you may be experiencing some of this too. But uh, that's a reality. It is very distressing, right? Because I don't think anybody likes to see somebody uh, hurting, somebody not in their right mind, somebody uh, under the throes of of an addiction or uh, of of a brokenness that is not being helped, and so it's concerning. I mean, uh, clearly the, the 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 people where this man lived at one, they had a concern for him. They've they've tried in the past to help. And just as we look around and we say we 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 want to help. There there needs to be help, and yet from a purely human standpoint we realize there seem to be some situations in life that we can we just we got to call them hopeless it just doesn't seem to be a way to help and this is this man's situation this man is plagued with the demonic and again i'm please don't don't send me hate mail or something i'm not suggesting that all of the things i've just described uh, <laughs> that we're dealing with with the culture are people that are demon possessed. I'm not saying that, but you know what? Sin brings a lot of things, whether you're demon possessed or not, and we see the hurt, and we're reminded in the Scripture that the end of sin is is a, always an escalating uh, degradation. Uh, kind of, I know. A little bit of uh, mixed mixed adjectives there but it, it, it were a decline an increasing decline uh, into perplexity for those around uh, and that we certainly see that in our culture today and and so this man is in in a place I think whether even though we we, we don't deal with demonic possessions on a regular basis today, I think when we read this, at least as I read, I'm thinking, you know, this doesn't this doesn't seem so far uh, removed from the world in which we live, does it? And I, and I'm thinking about all of the 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 weight that that must have carried, and I can imagine what the apostles are thinking. Oh, great! <laughs> and we we just went through the storm, we got to safety on the shore, and now we're accosted by this this guy. This he, he, he's demon possessed he's apparently got great strength so there's some fear no doubt and jesus addresses the man and we and we discover here that he's not just tormented by a single demon and we've seen in other places in scripture that that in itself is more than uh, somebody can deal with but he's under the control of an entire host of demons and when Jesus asked his name he says we are a legion for we are many <coughs> you have to excuse me because I've still got a little bit of a little bit of the covid stuff uh, lingering but I'll, I'll be the lord will get us through this that's okay now the when he says legion uh, He's not necessarily. I don't think we're. I agree with most commentators. We're not necessarily meant to to take that literally as a, a force of at least six thousand, because that uh, in in the Roman army that was uh, it was associated with that particular uh, uh, number um, is, is probably figurative, and for a couple of reasons. Uh, but you know what? If you disagree, that's okay. We're we're, we're good. Uh, we can be friends. Um, But it is a large number, a large number. Um, And the choice of name, I think, is is more telling than just trying to fixate yourself on the number. Because when he says legion, I mean, what's that conjuring up for, for a Jew? Is a vision of an army of occupation an army that is cruel, an army that has brought destruction, right? We're not talking about a legion of protecting angels like Jesus refers to in Matthew 26, 53, when he says, I could, I could call down more than 12 legions of angels uh, to, to, to deal with my pro- uh, the, the issues here. No, what we're confronted with here is Satan's army of terror and death, not just a single entity of, but an army of them. That, that, that more than one demon would uh, at times occupy and enslave a person is clear from other uh, passages. We have that in Luke chapter 11, verse 26. Uh, you might remember that. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept, put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. All right, so the, the scripture te- definitely teaches that a person could be inhabited by not just one, but multiple demons. So, But here we have this dramatic confrontation, right? Because it is a a legion, of, uh, this multitude of demons and Jesus all by himself. Because let me tell you, the, the apostles are doing nothing <laughs> here. Not, they're really not helping out. They're helping out about as much as they <laughs> helped out on the boat. Okay, so this is Jesus by himself standing firmly in control of not just one demon, not just a few demons, but what's pictured here is a whole host of the demonic spiritual realm is confronting Jesus there on the shore. Um I think it's Edwards writes, the, 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 uh, the portrayal uh, you know, when he was talking about breaking the chains and everything is showing the spirit's strength and showing that he's a powerful foe that, that the people can't control. We've already talked about that. Now keep in mind, too, that most of the Roman army, the occupying forces for the region of, of Judea, were kept in the Decapolis. So when when this when this the the demonic spokesperson for the group says we're legion, (laughs) I mean he is speaking something that is a very painful reminder to any Jew of the Roman domination. Because this legio, it's the largest military, single military unit of a Roman army, and and what the demon's saying, it's like the best analogy of the demoniac's oppression of this man is the way Palestine, the Judea, has been subjugated by Rome, and this is the confrontation here. Jesus, the Messiah, who, guess what? Most people were hoping Messiah is going to set them free from the Roman subjugation. But Jesus has come for a very different thing, hasn't he? Jesus has come to set them free from a different legion, from a different problem. And he demonstrates that here as he confronts this host. Uh, 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 of demons that are that are inside this man, he's going to expel them with absolute authority, as we'll see. Now, before we uh, move on in the reading, it, I guess it would be hard to miss that the demon gives the answer to kind of the question that the apostles left themselves with after the uh, the incident with the storm. Remember, they're wondering what, who is this man that's among us? Well. Guess what? The demons know exactly who he is, right? They're very quick to say, What have we to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? There's absolutely no question in their mind who Jesus is. They know exactly who he is. Yet they don't worship him. But they aren't above begging. And we see that. They know that they're right now face to face with the one to whom final judgment has been committed. They know that, right? The people around may not know it, but they know it. And by the power of Jesus' own word, they've already been arrested from controlling the man in question, right? It tells us they've already uh, they already realized that the next step is we're out. They went and they're begged, don't 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 torment us, right? Um, And so let's pick up there at at verse um, 31. They begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. They're really, when it comes down to it, they're really just interested in themselves. (laughs) They've had some fun, uh, but hey, I know one thing: we don't want to be sent to the abyss. We don't want to be tormented. We we're not ready for that. So if we could do something else, now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain. And Mark tells us about two thousand, and that's why it may not be six thousand uh, demons, but whatever. We're we're not. It, there's there's a lot. It's a multitude, probably in the thousands, no doubt. So they begged him. Would. The, that he would uh, permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. Now when those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it to in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man whom had the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They also, who had seen it, told them by what means he had uh, been demon-possessed, was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear, and he got into the boat and returned. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him, But Jesus sent him away, saying, "'Return to your own house.' and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Well, the demons, ultimately, they just care about themselves, right? They, they want a little more time. Don't send us into the abyss. Don't, don't, don't cast us out of this altogether. We know that's inevitable, right? They know uh, Romans uh, Revelation twelve twelve rather tells us that Satan knows he's on a short leash. It tells him he's got great wrath, and he knows that he has a short time. They don't love God, right? Let's make that clear. They they know Him, but they don't love Him. They believe in Him, and their knowledge is perfectly orthodox, right? They know the truth about God better than, than than you and I for the for the most part do. I mean, they know exactly who He is, but it does nothing for them eternally. It just brings their condemnation. They simply tremble in their uh, before His presence, for they know that ultimately they're not able to defeat His will, and yet they do not repent. And so James says, you know what, the you believe in God. Good well, good for you. The demons believe, but they and they tremble. That's James 2.19. But rather than being cast into the abyss, the, the bottomless pit before their time, and you might compare that to Matthew 8.29, they request that they could be sent into this herd of swine. And that's again Mark 5.13 tells us there's about 2,000 of these pigs running around, and and there's many demons, so it it seems like a perfect match. Again, like I said, the presence of pigs there uh, reminds us of how Gentile-influenced this particular region is because pigs are not uh, clean animals. That's not okay for a Jew to eat, Um, but the fact that we're actually keeping them uh, tells us there's a lot of Gentiles there. To be fed, and you know what the the Romans are occupying. You know they're keeping most of their their occupying armies there, so there's there's a good market for pigs. Um, and so there they are. Can we go into the pigs? And Jesus permits them. This is an interesting encounter. Just just this little piece, as it should remind you that even the demons and there were, the demon realm is under the sovereign control of the Almighty God, right? They, they do not operate completely without permission, right? Now, God doesn't instigate evil. He never does. But, right, they can't just enter a person, uh, anyone they want, because they feel like it. And you could read Job chapters 1 and 2, and you get a, some insights into uh, this as well. God is almighty. God is the one in control here. And they do need... Uh, uh, certain permission to do uh, things and and so they ask you know what okay you're casting us out Uh, we don't want to go to the abyss Uh, not ready for the old torment Uh, even though it's coming I know I can't stop it but can we just delay can can I go into the pigs can we all go into the pigs and they do and after that what happens they destroy the pigs you think to yourself well that was short lived yeah, it was. There's really no logic there, is there? Um, and, and that's a reminder too. That you know, it's just a manifestation of the chaos and destruction that's ultimately wrought by demonic influence. I, I'm not suggesting Satan isn't a cunning and, and intelligent being. I don't don't take that the wrong way. But this this really demonstrates for us the the kind of just the chaos that comes from sin and the demonic, it doesn't bring greater order. right? It, it doesn't bring order to your life. Uh, you, you, you might get a few things uh, lined up, but the, the overhaul tenor of your life is not going to be less chaotic uh, under demonic control and, and following uh, the world. And really what we see play out with the pigs is just another reminder. It's in keeping with the misery that was brought upon the man in this encounter. And you think about the life that he's been enduring. Uh, think about the father who saw his own son who he brought to Jesus uh, to have the demon cast out and says, you know what, the, the demon often tries to drown him and, and cast him into the fire. That's in Mark 9 22. It's just, it's chaotic, it's hurtful, uh, it's destructive. Well, the destruction of these swine gets the attention of the people that care for them, and and they run into the city to tell possibly the the owners, who knows, um, I'll tell you what, hurting somebody financially is a surefire way to get their attention. Um, And suddenly everybody's interested in what's going on out here in the tombs area, and Luke records that they come out from the city to see and what do they see? Uh, look at the dramatic change. He's in his right mind, and he's clothed, and he's sitting. It's just a—it's a picture of peace and tranquility. The very—it is the, the the polar opposite of what his life had been before. He now has peace. He's clothed, right? That shame's been taken away. He's got a covering. He's, As he says, he's in his right mind. This is just a beautiful picture, isn't it? And he's just there at Jesus' feet. Now, just like the disciples with the calming of the storm, these people come out and they see all of this and they they freak out. They're afraid, right? What's going on? I mean, this this changed man. I mean, they, they no doubt knew about this guy. Probably one of those things you tell your kids and everybody else. You don't want to go out to the tombs. Well, yeah, I got to go from so-and-so to so-and-so. Oh, you better go with a friend because you know what? That takes you by the tombs. Everybody, this is, and now all of a sudden, a, a transformation that it just, it can't happen by chance. It, there's there's no human way to make it happen, and yet it's happened. How do you explain it? And so they're afraid, and the response after hearing how it all came about is not a particularly positive one. Right? They tell Jesus, "You could go now." Yeah, but. They they encourage him. They you know, leave, leave us. We don't want you here. There's too much fear. And we talked about last week. You know, there, there is a right and reverent fear that's appropriate in the presence of God, in, in his holy presence. But as we also noted that fear alone, and particularly just like with the trembling of demons, that's not a safe place to be, and just a place of a trembling fear. If it doesn't lead to humility, and wor- repentance and worship, then it's really destructive. And these people, they don't beg for healing and forgiveness or any good thing that Jesus no doubt would impart to them, but they say, would you leave us alone? Um, Henderson commenting on this passage, he says, you know, what What should they have have, have, have said. I, he says that they should have started by congratulating this man who's sitting at Jesus' feet uh, and, and being excited about that. Then they should have brought their sick, their handicap, and uh, everybody else to be healed. I mean, surely they had heard about Jesus and, and what he had done. They couldn't be entirely ignorant uh, of of Jesus and his his power. I mean, Shouldn't they have tried to prevail on Jesus to stay a little while and impart blessing to body and soul, just like we see with the Samaritans in, in John four forty? But they don't. Their reaction is just the total opposite of that. Jesus must leave, and the sooner, the better. You know, I was, as I was studying this passage, and I was thinking to myself, this is just like the demonic response. You know, the demons ask an interesting, they said to Jesus, have you come to torment us? That tells you right off what they think of God, right? Now, the people of the city and the region don't ask that same question verbatim. Right? They, don't, they don't vocalize it that way. But they ultimately ask him to, to depart, and really are demonstrating the same underlying attitude towards God in our life. You see, in our unregenerate state, and so for many of you that may, and he may take you way back uh, in Mister Peabody's Wayback machine, but in, in your previous uh, chapter of life, in your unregenerate state, and. and where people are unregenerate. We don't love God or his ways. And, and we actually consider them a torment, right? You might not, maybe not use that language. But that's that's how people think about, about God. They think about God's ways. Uh, and, and people uh, want to be out from his gaze, out from his control, right? They don't want to be in the presence of the Holy and they don't want to be under the control of the holy. It's been pointed out when Jesus is put on the cross and killed, it's not because he's he was bad, because he, he did evil things. He went around doing good. He was kind. He was killed because he's holy and he had to be done away with. Just as Jesus had described in his parable before, when he said they will not have this man rule over us, that—that that was that's the unregenerate response to God. They don't understand or even imagine the joys of fellowship with God as their Father. And you may be able to remember a time, and you no doubt have people who may, maybe even talk to you about it this way and all they think of as Christians as people that can't, right? And just fill in the blank. Because God is, for them, just some kind of oppressive entity that torments people by taking away their freedom, their fun, their individuality, you name it. They do not perceive of God and fellowship with him as being the most blessed state an individual could ever be in that does not come to their mind they see god as a an impediment they do not understand you talking about fellowship they do not understand when we talk about the privilege of working alongside Him to accomplish His ends. That means nothing. That sounds like foolishness. They, they, they look at people that would go and spend their life as missionaries and live in poverty and, and, and danger and all of these things, and they say, why on earth would you do that to yourself? Yeah, you know, Sadly, some Christians look at their fellow Christians that do that and sometimes say that too. <clears throat> how can they miss the boat like that? See, see, un, the unregenerate man or woman wants autonomy. They want absolute control over their life without any accountability. That's <laughs> not like me to use an example like this, but they want to... I've taught high school, right? So... Uh, they want to live life the way that they would want to play a game in what's called sandbox mode. It's the mode where you can just basically, you don't have to follow all the rules. You can do you can build something exactly the way you want. And there's nothing wrong with that with a game, I'm not suggesting. But that's how they want to live life, with no consequence, exactly the way they want to do it. They want to build it just their way. And they don't want the gaze of God upon them. They don't want to feel guilty. And they don't want to have to explain themselves. And when somebody comes along and has been born again and been given a new heart that now loves the Lord, they don't understand that. Somebody that's suddenly gone from chaos to peace, from anger to joy, from shame to righteousness. You know, you know, and you'll hear people say things. Oh, yeah, you know, well, that it's a phase; it won't last. I mean, nobody who would want it. You can't keep that up. Well, no. You know what? You can't. Not in human power. Not by human means. That's why God has to do this work. You know what? Jesus had to cast out these demons. And Jesus Jesus has to send His Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to transform us and give us a new heart. or, Or this won't happen to us either. We do not love God by default. We hate Him. And praise be to God that He He comes and He saves us, and He gives us a new heart that now looks at Him in a totally different way. And we now see the joy of just getting to be in His kingdom. We now see the the blessing, and the, and the the mar and marvel at how this eternal Almighty God condescends Himself. To, to use people like you and me to accomplish his ends? Let me tell you folks, God could easily build his kingdom without your help or mine in some other way. Don't ask me what way that might be because it doesn't matter. He just chosen not to like little kids working with dad in the yard or, or with, we have gotten given the privilege of that, that joyful fellowship. You know, I don't know if you, what your upbringing was like. Maybe you had that. Maybe you didn't. Um, you know what? We have a perfect father in heaven, so this is the reality for you, whether you experience as a kid or not. But I'll tell you, there's, you know, as a kid, you have a joy in, in working with your with your parent. Well, at least I did. Yeah, and you, you you feel like you're a part of something. And you know, looking back on it, you realize, you know what? I'm an, I was just an impediment, right? My dad or my uncle, both of whom were uh, real blessings in my life in, in, in this regard. And just you know, we got to do regular adult stuff together. Um he looked back and I was like you know there's no doubt that I was just a hindrance in in actually getting that done as quick as it could be because I'm not bringing anything to the table hey <laughs> right? what's a 4 6 or 8 or 9 year old bringing to the table uh, that that the grown up doesn't have under control now they got it under control they can do it the blessing is all being poured out on you <laughs> To get to be a part in fellowship. Do you realize that is what God has called us into? We have that privilege. You know, I think too often we think of fellowship and we're thinking sitting around watching TV or gabbing together and somehow how does that work with God? And then we, because we miss the boat, the fellowship with the Father is, is, is work, it's work in the kingdom. Because we're getting to do it with him, Paul says we're we're co-laborers, and what an amazing privilege that is! Yeah, we're 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 evading sin because we're holding on to to our, our Father's hand, and we're uh, he's he's keeping us on track, and, and there's a work to be done, and all of this, and and it's just it's where we get our joy. As surely as as a little child received, got that joy uh, with their own parent. The world does not understand that. And we, we should understand that they don't, right? Trying to explain it is, I mean, you can go ahead and try to explain it. But until they're born again, they will not understand it. Until a person is born again, they look at God as an enemy. And they want him to leave. Well, this man has been set free. He, he's been born again. This, what a beautiful picture. And he begs Jesus. Will you let me be with you? I want to be with you. And what may seem a little harsh initially, right? It, Jesus says no. I got other plans for you. You're, you're, you're going to be my witness in this, this Gentile region that's actually hostile to the things of God. And isn't that an amazing kindness on God's part? Right? This, this area that unilaterally rejects Jesus, says, take a hike, get out of here. The good shepherd that he is, who has come to seek and save the lost, leaves them a witness. He leaves this man there with a job to do. He reaches out to these lost souls even though he's no longer physically present there. He leaves them and he says, return to your own house. Tell them what great things God has done for you. Jesus has his own desires for the man. And... So he turns down his request, and and sometimes that is the reality. Sometimes when the answer to a request is no, it's because God has other things on his mind. God has other plans for us. And Jesus' reply reveals something, obviously, about the mission that all believers have. That is, that some are going to travel with Jesus, as the apostles do and others do, and they're going to be away from their home. And others are going to remain where they are to testify of him, right? Some are called to be missionaries, and they go all over the place. They they kind of never, they don't have roots often. And then there's other people that are called, and and they're just planted somewhere, and that's where they're to be. And sometimes that changes in a different season of life, right? Somebody that was one time a missionary becomes planted later, or vice versa, But God is at work, and he has different things, different callings. And this man is uh, of that latter type. He's there to to be a a missionary at home. Not all believers are called to serve Jesus in the same way, right? And that's good news, right? There's so many different things that need to be done. And God's made us all so differently. Um, And so he leaves... Uh, a presence there in the city, even though he departs. And the guy does, of course, exactly what Jesus says. He doesn't actually just tell his immediate household, but uh, the whole city, and actually Mark in Mark 5.20 tells us he he proclaims the the good news throughout the region of the Decapolis. And, And I just was struck here as we close this particular passage. It says he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. And you may be saying, well, of course he did. Look what he did for him. Do you not look in the mirror and recognize what Jesus has done for you and for me? Folks, we were destined for hell. While we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. The Holy Spirit drew you to Himself. You weren't seeking after Him. And how often do we do what this man did? How often do we do that? I mean, it should I'm just convicted. Shouldn't, shouldn't it just be woven into our normal conversation? What the, the amazing things... What great things that Jesus has done for us. Can we even articulate it? Right? Do we think on it enough? Is it it enough in the front part of our consciousness that, that we can give articulation to it if the opportunity comes up? Have we even given it enough consideration to where we actually have something to say? I think that's the real detriment of many Christians today. Not that they're not living with the Lord, but that nobody knows it. They never talk about it. I know we've been bullied into not talking about it, but you know what? Are we going to succumb to the fear of men or are we going to glorify God? Well, we're out of time, so I'm going to go ahead and close out the lesson for tonight. We'll, we'll go ahead and finish that in two weeks and, and then move on to the rest of the chapter. But again, next week, a vacation Bible school, so uh, things will be a little different. All right.